So good morning. Good morning. It's a, as we drove up, I was pleased to see the neatness of the grounds and the building. That says a lot about the congregation of any church at any time. And you've done well with that. <clears throat> this is the Lord's day. It's the day that he rose from the grave. And today is the day we set aside for Mother's Day. I like the name of the word Bible in your name. I like the word faith and fellowship because those three elements make up the power in a church. And then that, that's where our authority is. If there is no fellowship, there's not much authority. It's just hollow. I appreciate the invitation to be here today. I was surprised to get a call. When you get to be 85, not many people call you. And I'm just glad to be here today. As a matter of fact, I'm glad to be anywhere at 85 years of age. My wife is with me, Elizabeth. She's sitting right behind Eric here, keeping an eye on him <coughs> and Sandy. <laughs> if you'll take your, if you're using your pew Bible, it's on page 100, uh, 266 in 1 Samuel, if you have your own copy. And it's a story. Samuel is a storybook. First Kings is a history of the kings, the good ones and the bad ones. And then <clears throat> the Chronicles record the events as they happen year by year, month by month. But Samuel is a storybook. And somebody recorded these stories for us. We don't know exactly who wrote and composed Samuel. Those who may know or claim to know will tell you it was Gath or it was Nathan or somebody else. But nobody really knows who compiled these. I don't know that it might have been Samuel himself that did that. But the scripture says, and starting with the verse first, there was a man by the name of Elkanah, and go down to verse two, and he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Phenina, and Phenina had children, and Hannah had no children. And there you have the mix in this family 
of three people. Eventually going to be more. But Hannah is a lady with no children. In a culture where it says that if you've been married a while and no children, it's because God doesn't bless you. And Hannah hopes to counter that because she said, the Lord has closed up my womb. That's a very serious thing in her culture. It can be in our culture too for a woman who desires to be a mother. And Hannah desired to be a mother and could not because she said, the Lord has closed up my womb. Now she's married to Elkanah. Elkanah is a man that's creative, I suppose. He decided after a while, Hannah's not going to give him any children. So it was a problem for him. What is he going to do? He could divorce Hannah and marry someone else. But if he married someone else, he wouldn't know if they could have children or not. But he decided to keep Hannah as his wife. For as the scripture says, he loved her. He went and found, rather than divorcing her, he found another woman that he could have children with. I don't know how he was so assured of that. Unless Benaiah already had children. And Penina was a woman that would tease, would criticize, would make you, would give you put-downs, make you feel bad. And she did that on purpose. She planned it. And she planned it particularly when they were headed to worship. They worshiped in... in uh, a town where the tabernacle is, Shiloh. And that was, uh, wasn't too far from where the hill country is that uh, Elkanah had his home. But when they would go there, Hannah would go and pray that the Lord God would open her womb, look in upon her infirmities, she called it, and bless her with a son. Not just children, but a son. And she made a Nazarite vow, which they didn't shave their heads, and she said, you give me one, no razor shall come upon his head. Nazarite vow meant that you would live a very strict life. So, as she went into the tabernacle, the tent of gathering, she was very prayerful. 
Now, before going in there, there was a meal. They had the custom of having a meal at the worship time. And you had to bring your own victuals. You had to bring your own food. Matter of fact, she brought some wine. She brought a bushel of uh, wheat, an ephod. And <clears throat> they bought a, brought a three-year-old bull. And there, the bull was sacrificed, put on the altar, and they were having a meal. And Hannah was there, Benaiah was there, and all her boys and her girls. But Elkanah then had the job of serving the people. He took pieces of the meat and put whatever with the flour had produced and he put it on their plates and he gave Benina a good portion because she had children so many and then the scripture says he served Hannah a double portion he gave her plenty to eat. Now they're sitting at a table, however that table was, on the ground or whatever. She's not eating anything. And Elkanah looks at her, Elkanah looks at her and says, why are you so sad? Well, after she got through that tongue lashing with Benaiah, it had worked on her. And then she had this also, this desire in her heart to be a mother, and Benaiah was. Hmm. So we have here a situation that is very difficult for Elkanah. But he doesn't handle it very well. He says, why are you not eating? Why are you so sad? And she felt so bad and so empty that she got up and she left and did not eat. She left the table. You know where she went? The door of the tabernacle at Shiloh. And there she is praying in the door of the tabernacle. And it's the bitterness within her heart that flows and the desire in her heart that flows out. But Eli is the priest in charge of the tabernacle. And he sees Hannah there in the door of the tabernacle. And Hannah's praying, not out loud. But Eli notices that her lips are moving. It's like... We call that a hushed, silent prayer, I suppose, today. 
But Eli misinterprets what she's doing. And he accuses her of being drunk. Now that's odd. He doesn't take care of his own children, but yet he's criticizing her. And she says to him, oh, he says to her, don't pour out that wine. Get rid of it. She says, oh, I'm not, I'm not that kind of woman. I'm not drunk. Wine is not flowing, but my feelings of my heart are flowing out. And here they are. And Eli heard her and said, May the Lord God of Israel bless you. And so she felt better. She left the door of the tabernacle and she went back where they were eating. She felt better, looked better, and she sat down and ate her meal and finished it with the rest of them. It is a story of emotions, of sorrow, of uh, bitterness and misunderstanding. Now Elkanah makes a big mistake. He gives Hannah unintentionally, but he does give it one of the worst blows. Now listen then. Most of us are about as dumb as Elkanah was. You read the scripture, he says to her, Am I not better to you than ten children, ten sons? Am I not as good as ten sons would be? Men, when you have children, you're no longer first place in the marriage. You think you are, and you act like you are, and every one of us has a little bit of Elkanah in us. And somehow or another, Elkanah got through it, and we can too. But Hannah was hurt by that, so she left the table. Now, what does this mean to me? What does it mean to you? Well, we can, can get Benina. She's not mentioned any time anyplace else. But Eli is. Eli has two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. It's a puzzle to me as to why they are identified so early in the story. Well, they have no play in the story 
unless they're there for our to read between, between the lines, possibly. That's just speculation. Eli's two sons, we're told, in chapter 3, verse 22, that they were adulterers. They mixed religion with sex. They subdued the young women that came to worship. And Eli had no one to exceed him that called on the name of the Lord. For the priesthood then was traveled down the line. You inherited it. And these two sons were going to be inherited, but the Lord sought to do away with them. Now what happened in this story is that God intervened and several different things took place, not just one. Now there's some values in the story. And there are some contributions, compliments to Elkanah. He was a father. He was a husband. He was one who led his family to worship at the house of God. He took Hannah, Peniah, and all the children. He was fair. He didn't, he loved Hannah. Doesn't say he didn't love Peniah, but it doesn't mention that he loved her. But he was fair. He gave her sufficient food to feed her family, her children, and herself. And for Hannah, he was fair in it. He was a man who loved what his feelings were towards Benaiah, we don't know. When it comes to Hannah, she was a woman of patience, of restraint. She withheld. There's nothing that says that she ever fired back at Penina. But she did leave the table in disgust. But there was room for Elkanah to grow. Or he wouldn't have said, am I not better for you than killed children? Now we come to the, what does this mean to me? What do I take home with me today? What good is that story to me? I think it has to do with prayer. Hannah was a woman of prayer, and she prayed. some things specific about that prayer I want you to get. If you get it, 
it will spice up your prayer life. It will make you feel different about your prayer. First of all, I noticed that her prayers were specific. She didn't just pray, Lord, heal me. She was specific in it. Lord, look upon my infirmities and favor me and give me a child. No, give me a son. She was specific. I have learned that it's best to pray for specific things. Oftentimes we come to church to pray for someone who's sick. And we just pray for God to heal them. He never does. We try to find out what's specific and pray for that. And then you might have healing. But God is on our side, for he already knows what we have need of before we ask. So that is our blessing, loophole if you prefer, that when we don't pray specific, God already knows and he hears our prayer. But it's best like Hannah to be specific in your prayer. If you know what the disease is, pray that that can be dealt with. Name it in prayer. She was consistent in her prayer. Prayer was consistent. It was specific. It was consistent. And it had a purpose, a good purpose. And the purpose was that she'd have a son, not just to love, but she would have a son that she could give back to the Lord after he was weaned, maybe 10 years of age or whatever, 12, whatever. It had a purpose. Prayer has need to have a purpose. And it was fulfilled her prayer was that she did what she said in her vow that she'd do that. Elkanah also went to the tabernacle to fulfill his vow. I don't know what it was. Pacific praying. Now what happened? Eli now has someone to inherit his position as high priest of the tabernacle, and that would be Samuel. He didn't before, he does now. The prayer of uh, this woman changed things and history. Prayer can do that. And she had us fulfilled herself. She had a son. And she gave us two of the books of the Bible. There's a lot that comes out of prayer, specific prayer, prayer that is constant, prayer that is not waving, prayer with a purpose, and prayer that you're willing to 
spiritual thing. Now what does prayer mean to you? And what can I do with prayer? Prayer changes things, but prayer also changes people. And prayer changes me first, and then what I pray about. Be specific in your prayer. Our Father in heaven, I ask that you shall write upon our hearts the need to pray. Identify the things that we need to pray for that you already know that we have need of. Let us see those answers and those blessings. For this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We come now to the time of our benediction.